We, but for today, we're in James chapter 5, verse number 15. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, slept in uh, a city or a country or a town where you needed bars on your windows, uh, that that would just be the norm. In some of those situations, I'm like, what if there's a fire? Uh, you know, how do you get out of this place? It, it would be a little complicated. But that's not the greater risk. Uh, the greater risk is, uh, is, is from uh, criminal uh, activity and, uh, and, and really murderous thieves, murderous thieves. Um, there was a saying among the Jews, according to William Barclay, and that is this. Uh, he who prays surrounds his house with a wall stronger than iron. Again, he who prays surrounds his house with a wall stronger than iron. Now, I like the can-do, take-charge kind of a personality. But are we more likely to, uh, to pray for our home, or are we more likely to encase our home in walls of iron? I, I, I'm afraid that in my can-do, take-charge kind of attitude, I am more likely to build the wall out of iron than I am to pray to God to preserve my home and to keep it safe. And prayer is the absolute necessity. The iron is optional. But prayer is the necessity. Prayer is stronger than iron. And today's passage talks to us about prayer within the assembly. And, and it has been even last week as well. We are in James chapter 5. We're going to cover verses 15 through 18. But just so we stay in context, let's start in verse number 13 where it, it begins talking about instructions in the church. Does somebody have trials or tribulations? Let them pray. Does somebody have um, good times? Let them sing psalms or, or pray psalms. And, and is somebody weak, which we studied last week, let them call for the elders and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. Okay? And, and again, that anointing with oil might be lost to us. It, 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 to them, it might have been clarifying, oh, because they're anointing him in oil, this had to do with, sin or it had to do with acceptance or it had to do with something where it's a bit lost to us because we don't anoint with oil in our day-to-day lives. By the way, a week from tonight, tonight we have Vacation Bible School, a week from tonight um, I've got a series of texts where we're just going to go through the Old Testament anointings and see the purposes and they're, they're, they're quite broad. Um, practical daily anointings that's just that you do as far as daily care um, and, and then as well as ceremonial anointings for acceptance and uh, cleansing anointing. So um, anyway, we're going to look at that a week from tonight. Um, uh, but again, there might be something lost to us there. But again, we have those three situations that, that are going to be addressed. Let's start in verse 13. Is there anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms or sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death 
and will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, Father, I do ask that you would bless us as a congregation to apply your word in terms of praying for one another, in terms of confessing our sins to one another. And God, I ask that you would help us to be a faithful congregation. Lord, help us to not be negligent in ministering to each other, building iron walls and neglecting prayer. Uh, I pray, Father, that, that you would change our hearts and help us to walk with you as a church family, full of confession, full of prayer. And uh, Lord, I just pray we'd all be changed today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin our study, the prayer of faith will save the sick, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Verse number 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So a couple of issues there in that passage. One is the prayer of faith. What is that? Uh, The other is the matter of sins being forgiven. What's going on there? The elders pray and this man is forgiven his sins? Does that sound like a confessional to you? Well, let's take the latter. It may actually be uh, easier, the two issues. James allows for the possibility here that sin is involved with sickness, that sin is involved with weakness. In verse number 14, we saw this last week, is anyone among you sick? And that word there is weak. And it says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And today's verse is just a continuation. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So sins, what, what, what are we talking about with sins? Well, uh, and, and, and weakness and sickness. I believe it's related to 1 Corinthians 11 where people were abusing the house of God. They were turning the Lord's table into a feast where the rich would gluttonize and be drunk and the poor would be ashamed and go without and be left out. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, for this reason, uh, many of you are sick. And that word there is weak as well, the, the Greek word for weak. And some have died, as he used the euphemism, some sleep. And so uh, there, there are cases where sin... Can, God, can cause God to strike someone with weakness, with sickness. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is talking about church discipline, and there's an immoral man there, and he said that you should deliver this one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his soul might be saved. And, and so there is a sense in which when you are judged by the church and, and cast out of the church, that there is an expectation that there could be a sickness, a destruction of the flesh that will get your attention and will cause you to do business with God, that your soul would actually be saved. Now, as you look at this possibility, the Bible expects you to remember the rest of the Bible when you read the current passage in the Bible, right? It does not stop at every topic it brings up and do an exhaustive systematic treatment of that topic. The Bible would be unapproachable. If every time it brought up a subject, subject, it had to go from A to Z on every doctrine so that it's all packaged in every passage that addresses that topic. So as we see this possibility that sin leads to illness, we need to remember elsewhere in the Bible that not all illness is a result of sin. And of course, John chapter 9, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, 
but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so James is not saying that all weakness, all sickness is the result of sin. James is allowing for that possibility when he says, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Now, of equal standing, and we need to consider this at some point this morning, not only must we allow the rest of the Bible to teach us that not not all sickness is due to sin, we must also allow the rest of the Bible to teach us that it is not always God's will to heal us of our maladies. It is not always God's will to heal us of sickness. This guy being addressed in this situation is going to rise. But that is not always the situation. And we will consider that as we go along today. So, let's deal with the forgiveness of sins. How does calling for the elders to pray for your weakness lead to your sins being forgiven? Uh, it says here in verse number 15, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Well, again, the Bible expects you to pay attention to the rest of the Bible when it addresses a topic. Uh, and, and so, under what condition does God grant forgiveness in the Bible? Repentance, confession. Uh, listen to Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 3.19, repent that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 11, verse number 18, um, the Gentiles started coming to to God and and receiving Christ and receiving the Spirit, and here's the response of the Jews in Acts 11.18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Repentance that leads to life. In Acts 20, Paul is leaving the churches in what is today Turkey, and he is giving testimonial to his ministry there. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance, the heart attitude as you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, and faith in Jesus, your heart attitude of trusting Jesus Christ. So when we read James, James is not saying, hey guys, I've got a new way for you to have your sins forgiven. You don't have to repent. You don't have to trust Jesus. You just get sick. You call for the elders. They pray for your sickness. And somehow your sins are expunged through this transaction. Uh, He is not announcing a new way to have your sins forgiven. And so he expects you to understand that this was a spiritual repentance that was possibly taking place here, that this person was possibly weak and sick because they had a sin problem, perhaps even disciplined out of the church, and they call for the elders, and then that very act of calling for the elders is an act of repentance. I am on the outside. I need to get right with God. And there are other things that are going on here that would cause this man to have his sins related to his sickness forgiven. So you need to read the Bible remembering the rest of the Bible and what it teaches. It says in verse number 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick. What is the prayer of faith? Look at verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What is the prayer of faith? Well, three possibilities, and I'll give you, I just assigned a percentage chance that one of them is right, okay? Because there are three good possibilities. Number one, the prayer of faith is that this sick person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and he confesses in prayer his faith in Jesus. The prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. That could be from this deathbed, or that could be uh, when in the resurrection when we are all raised and we are all healed. It could be a very forward-looking statement when it says the Lord will raise him up. He may die of this disease in our presence, but at the resurrection, his body will be raised perfect. I give this a 10% chance of being the right view. I, 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 you know, that, that, that the prayer of faith is the sick person placing his faith in Jesus. The second idea is that the person praying has faith that his request aligns with the will of God and it's going to get answered. And I don't know if you've had this opportunity to pray for the sick. Um, it's happened to me three or four times in my life where I was praying and, and I just felt like God gave me the prayer. He just put it on my heart and on my mind to pray things in the presence of the sick that would have in some cases almost been offensive in the way that they were worded, pleading for the pity of God in this situation and in the specificity of the healing that I was asking for. And I just had a sense that, uh, man, my, my prayer, this just seems like something that aligns with the will of God. And so the prayer of faith in that situation would be those rare moments where you are praying a prayer and, and you just sense from the Spirit or in your mind that, oh, this aligns with, with God's will for these people. And the prayer of faith by an individual, I, it doesn't happen often, uh, those who would teach that this is what it's teaching. I think that's 30% likely to be the case, that this is, the, this is 30% likely the right view. What I would give 60% likelihood to being the right view is this. The person praying has faith that God will act according to his will in this situation and that God's will is manifestly, ultimately good, very, very good. The prayer of faith with great confidence that as you pray, uh, submitting to the will of God. And yes, you are praying for the best. You are praying for healing for this person. But in an attitude of submission and just trusting that whatever God does, it is the best that that is the prayer of faith. And I, like I say, I would give that a 60% likelihood of being the right view, the right thing to take away from this passage. An important note is this. Jesus does not need your faith to do miracles. God does not need your faith to, to break into the natural order of things and do something that is supernatural. By the way, I don't believe we have miracles today. I believe we have supernatural acts of God today. Do you understand the difference between a miracle and supernatural? Supernatural means God is breaking into the order of things and healing somebody when there's just no scientific explanation for that healing. A miracle is what the apostles and Jesus did before the word of God was complete as they were giving new advancements in revelation to the church. They would call together a crowd and they could call their shot before they hit it out of the park. They could say, I am going to heal this man, and they would do this miracle. A miracle is a spectacle. It is something that just draws attention and gets people's attention. That's a miracle. Okay, when I pray for you and you're healed, with, that's not a miracle. That's supernatural. Okay, so we don't have miracles in this age. They are going to come back again at the end times. And, and so when times change, God seems to be uh, pleased to grant the ability for human beings to do miracles. There's going to be a couple of witnesses who are going to be doing miracles in and around the great tribulation. Uh, so they will come back again. 
But right now, we're in the age where we have a more sure word of prophecy. Everything we need is right here. I have nothing new to announce to you that's not in the Word of God today. And anything I say better be found here. That's my understanding of the difference between miracles and supernatural. And God does not need your faith to do the supernatural. There are times when Jesus refused to do miracles because people's faith was weak, because it was misplaced. In John 6, he had just fed the 5,000, and people are following him saying, we want more food. Uh, Give us these miracles. Give us the ability to do this ourselves. And they wanted food. They wanted healing. They did not want a Savior from their sins. So their faith, they believed Jesus could feed them. That's why they were there. They had faith in that, but it was the wrong faith. They did not have faith that he would die for their sins and save them eternally in God's presence. So that was wrong faith, and Jesus Christ will not honor wrong faith. And, uh, but God does not need your faith to do miracles. So um, whatever your view of the prayer of faith, whatever your view of, 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 of sickness and its relationship to sin, I think we have to take away at least three things, maybe four. Number one, not all sickness is due to sin. Not all sickness is due to sin. Number two, sin does not always lead to sickness. Some people are involved in sin and they seem to get away with it in terms of their health. Third, God's will is not always to relieve you of sickness. You will die of something. And then I would add this fourth thing. In the resurrection, we are all healed. We are all raised from our sick bed eternally. Better than good perfect, holy. So now, let's go to the second point. Following instructions for the weak, uh, God commands, and that was in, in, in last week's passage where the weak is that sick person who calls the elders. Following those instructions, God commands believers to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another uh, that we might be healed. Verse number 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, if you read this and you think, boy, Christians are just happy little people that never get sick, you aren't reading the rest of the Bible where Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh. He talks about Epaphroditus who grieved Paul as he was near to death and it seemed to be an extended illness. So, it's not that Christians are always happy and healthy people in that sense. But on the flip side, this verse does indicate that, um, that prayers that never happen go unanswered. If you never ask God to work, there are times that God does not work. Healings that would have happened will not happen because of prayerlessness. You cannot walk away from this verse and say, prayer doesn't matter. That prayer does not change things on the earth. How do we reconcile this? Uh, Think about the words of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, if you are an unspiritual person, and if you're reading that verse without keeping the rest of the Bible in mind, and without keeping good sound logic and human reasoning in mind, 
when you see Jesus say, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, you're like, I just got a blank check. Thank you, Jesus. And whatever I put on that blank check, that gets deposited in my account. You need to understand that when you ask something in the name of Jesus, you are asking according to his will. Let me just apply this to me. Just imagine for, for a moment that I were an important person in the town of Pine Island. I guarantee I walk downtown. Nobody knows who I am. This is all imagination, okay? Um, but I imagine I'm an important person in downtown Pine Island, and someone comes up to me and says, uh, Pastor Tim, I want to do something in your name and in your honor. I want to host an LGBTQ pride parade in downtown uh, Pine Island. Will you please... Give me the resources, the support, and help me organize this, and I'd like to do this in your name. Now, I would be taken aback as to why anybody would ask something so immoral of me. And I would ask, where on earth did you get the idea that I would want an LGBTQ pride parade done in my name? It would be disturbing at every single level of my existence. Even so with God on moral issues. Dare I say, even so with God, on materialistic issues. Because, see, we worship material things in place of God. We find our meaning through the stuff we have, through the stuff we own, through the stuff we do, through how much money. And all of this materialism stuff is really an idol. In so many cases, it's it's idolatry. It's a replacement of God. And so be very careful about going to God and say, in the name of Jesus, I want to ask for a Porsche (laughs) Or, or, or whatever, a Ferrari. Um, in the name of God, where would you ever get, that is so disturbing at so many levels, if, if, if that is what you are going to God and asking him for in his name, you don't understand the name of our God. On matters of self-worship or self-centeredness where you just want your way in your relationships and you're like, God, in the name of Jesus, please help things to go my way. If you think Jesus gave you a blank check to fulfill your lusts or even your desire to avoid all hardship that is natural in a life of faith and natural in a sin-cursed world, guess again, because you're not reading your Bible very well. You do not know the character of God, nor do you understand how his testing of Job was a good thing. Even in the Lord's Prayer, you'll see our daily bread comes after thy will be done. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. There are some days where many Christians do not have daily bread in this world. Even our request for daily bread follows our submission to the will of God and our confidence that his will is good in all things. So submit yourself to the will of God as you pray for one another. And your prayers will be answered. Prayer is vital. God's will is accomplished when you pray. Neglect to pray and something less than God's best for you and your church family will need to suffice. Oh, he'll get you through it. But perhaps you will die and we will have to learn to live without you. Be reunited on the other side. We'll all be as right as rain. Life will be good in the resurrection. Or perhaps you'll merely be disabled in some regard and need to cope with that. But that that seems to be the ethos of today's text, that maybe we should pray more. 
But let's not skip one other phrase in this passage that would be very comfortable to skip, and that is confess your sins to one another. Look at verse 15 and 16. And keep in mind, we've just been praying for the weak, somebody who is on their deathbed, okay? And in verse 15, it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another. Now, the anointing may have been related to a sin issue. We don't know. That's a bit lost to us. But the conditional statement, if he has sinned, they will be forgiven, we are dealing with sin issues in these healings. And the conclusion of the book, my brother, look at verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone rescues him. This passage is dealing with sin issues. And our admonition, what is it? Confess your sins to one another. Well, before I confess anything to you, I want to know what a sin is, <laughs> you know, and so I looked up the definition. The definition of sin is a departure, a departure from either human or divine standards of uprightness. Have you ever departed in your conduct from standards of uprightness, human standards or God's standards of uprightness? How about in your words? Have you ever departed from uprightness in your words, the words you've used? How about in your thought life? Have you ever departed from uprightness in your thought life? Mold over thoughts over and over again that were just not right. We all have. Everyone in this room has done this. And that's what James is talking about here. There's an element of church life as a church family. And, and this is one of them, confessing our sins that I try to model as a pastor. I try to model it, but I don't know where to draw the lines between TMI and transparency, okay? You know, TMI is too much information versus transparency so that you know how to pray for me. We studied a few weeks ago materialism, how the rich in James's day were being self-indulgent in the last days. They were living voluptuously. I like that word, voluptuously. Too much of what I do is voluptuous. It crosses a line. It just, it just, it's too much. So I want you to feel free to pray for me in that way. Now, I am not going to burden you with TMI, uh, everything that bothers my conscience that I've done, that I've engaged in. Nor am I going to argue with you things that you might think are over the line, that I think are within the grace of God. I'm not going to sit here and justify Things that I feel are within the grace of God. I feel that would be in the area of TMI as well. But I think we can confess, confess to weaknesses in every category of sin, all categories. Anger, lust, greed, lovelessness. I think we can all confess to all categories broadly. And in particular, the ones that we feel we're struggling with right now without getting TMI so that we know how to pray for one another. So take 10 seconds, and I just want you to stop and think about something, and I'll give you a moment of silence to get the answer. Don't say it out loud. When was the last time you confessed a spiritual weakness or a need for prayer to anyone? Think. Who did you confess it to? If you don't have an answer, you aren't following the Word of God well. You aren't submitting to God in this matter, and that will not yield good results.
We see here in the third point today that the fervent prayers of, a regu- of regular believers, normal Joes, <laughs> regular believers, yield a great effect. And the example given is Elijah who stopped the rains and then brought them back when, uh, through prayer. Look at verse number, let's start at the end of verse number 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. So notice that Elijah was a man who had a nature like ours. That's one word in the original language. It means like-natured. Uh, to experience the same feelings uh, or the same circumstances, uh, the same nature in his man. Why would James uh, feel like his audience could relate to Elijah at this time in their journey? Uh, You might remember in chapter 1, verse 1, he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So these are Jews. They've come to know who their Messiah is, that Jesus is their Messiah who their nation has been waiting for. And he comes with all consistency with all of the Old Testament prophecies. He checks every box, so to say. He comes with miracles declaring the truth of the Old Testament scriptures. He he authenticates everything that he says, and they are fully convinced of it. And this is the joy of their nation. And they announce it to their nation. And what is the response? Their lives are sought for it. They have to leave. They have to flee their homeland. They are rejected. Their message is rejected. And you know what? That could be very uh, desponding. That could, that could be very disheartening to have your fellow Jews reject your Savior. Well, that's what Elijah went through with Jezebel and Ahab. Elijah prayed and, and shut up the reins for three and a half years. That was a big deal. And, and you and I are so far removed from, from plague and famine um, we, we just, we don't relate to plague and famine. We don't fear it. Right now, we've got a real big problem going on, I think, through Mexico all the way up to Canada where the fires are with a drought, with a dryness. Uh, our, worst, uh, our worst circumstance related to it is the smoke that has been in the air many days. And you, maybe you felt it in your throat. It just burns in your throat, especially if you're out exercising in it. And, but, but, but famine, we don't relate to so well. Um, we were not really afraid of going hungry. Hamburger at $10 a pound, we can relate to that. It, it could happen. And we, man, we'd have to readjust everything and reprioritize or maybe it'd be more rice and more ramen noodles. But famine, we don't really think so. By the way, as far the, this is just the weather forecast. I just had to pull this up down in Phoenix. That's the next 10 days. It's going to set new records and not in a good way. And, and since some of you have property in uh, Palm Springs, uh, it, it's bad. Um, you know, we, we can pray for our nation. That, that's, that's gonna, that, that, that could hit home. Uh, it certainly is going to hit home with people dying in the next 10 days uh, from heat exposure. Uh, but, but even with this going on in our lives, uh, even with this going on in our lives, uh, we're really not afraid of famine. In Ezekiel's day, Ezekiel, um, Elijah's day, in Elijah's day, famine was a reality. And this man, through prayer, announced that God was going to shut up the heavens for three years as a judgment on Israel, to make a point to Israel, to make a point to his nation. And then after three and a half years, he summons 450 false prophets 
to, to Mount Jezreel and, and, and he, he called to Jezreel Valley and, and he, uh, to Mount Carmel and he, he calls on them to offer a sacrifice to their gods. And they make great spectacles. There's no answer. Then he has his offering with water dumped all over the offering. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the offering. The, the, the people kill the false prophets on the spot. And, with, and, and as he prays, rain returns. What was Jezebel's response? Did she say, okay, I see it now. God is God. And, and I'm going to trust him. Here come the rains. I am glad. I've learned my lesson. And, and God has demonstrated his power at Mount Carmel. But no. She hunts his life. The only thing she wants is to have him dead now. And so as we look at Elijah and, and listen to 1 Kings 19, verse 3, then he was afraid. And he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba. That would be way down at the south, which belongs to Judah, and, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, into the desert, and came and sat under a broom tree and asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. For all of my efforts, I have nothing to show for it. What value is my life? It was a man like this whose prayers had shut up the heavens for three and a half years and whose prayers opened up the heavens. Listen to the opening up of the heavens in 1 Kings 18. It says, when Elijah went up to Mount Carmel and he bowed himself on the earth and put his face between his knees. Uh, he's praying. He bowed himself on the earth, put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. He said, go again seven times. And the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand rising from the sea. And then the rains came. Elijah's day, a day of famine. You might remember he and the widow and her son. Uh, he knew famine. He was a just man, but he was just a man. And he shut up the heavens. What do we learn from a man who is just like us, Elijah? When it comes to your prayer life, what do you learn from Elijah and the fact that he's just like you? It means that you do not leave praying to the super-Christians. It means when there's a problem in someone's life, you are called to pray for them. You're called to pray for their sanctification, for my sanctification, and you're to pray for their weaknesses, their illnesses, and my weakness, and my, my weaknesses, and my illnesses. And you don't leave that up to the super-Christian in our midst. Elijah was a man like you. He's normal. And in fact, if we have any super-Christians in our midst, they're probably not doing the confessing your th sins thing, right? Because the reality is, categorically, we all can confess weaknesses. There's just some that are more prominent than others that we need to confess distinctively. So don't leave prayer to the super-Christian. You are a man of faith. You are a woman of faith. Pray in faith. Don't leave it to the rest of us. Don't leave it to your church family. And don't leave us unprotected by your prayers. So as you look at today's text, God can raise the sick through prayer. God forgives sins through the repentance of prayer. 
And God commands us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. James does not teach that all sickness is the result of sin, nor does he teach that sin always leads to sickness, nor does he teach that God's will is that you would always be relieved of your sickness. But it is clear that James teaches that sin can lead to sickness and that confession and prayer can lead to healing. And when this happens, a prayer of faith will be involved. Are you praying? Sometimes there are sins to be confessed openly, asking for prayer, being transparent. When was the last time you confessed a sin to anyone? When was the last time you apologized to anyone? Think of a specific moment. Prayer ministry is not accomplished through super saints. It's accomplished by normal men and women in Christ who agonize in prayer like Elijah. As we conclude today, I want to take two minutes of silence and I want you to pray. I want you to pray for someone. Whoever God brings to mind, pray silently. Pray according to the will of God as you pray for this person. Pray submitting to the will of God, trusting that it is good. And praying in the name of Jesus, which means whatever you're asking for for this person is going to accord with the will of Jesus as you know him disclosed in the Bible. So we're taught to pray, we're admonished to pray. Let's take two minutes and I want you to pray for someone, whoever God lays on your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you that you have called us to this work. It is a tremendous opportunity that we have to enter into your throne room and to present requests for others. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pray for one another as we should. I pray that you would help us to be a family that confesses sins, that weaknesses and faults openly with transparency. And Lord, just knowing where to draw lines in terms of uh, too much information per se. God, I pray that you'd help us to uh, not exalt ourselves or allow ourselves to be exalted as super-Christians in the midst of other Christians, but that all would be accounted alike, needy sinners who've come to Jesus in faith. Lord, I pray that you and our Savior Jesus Christ would always be our hero and that your spirit would have free reign in our souls. God, cause this word to examine us individually. Are we praying? Are we confessing? Do we love others as we should? Or are we leaving our church family in a condition of exposure and risk? And uh, God, I just pray that you would also judge us corporately as a church body. Help us to behave like a family. Help us to love one another as we should. We thank you for your word. We pray it continue to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.